Happy Sabbath and good morning. So, and this is the beginning of lesson six, understanding forgiveness. <clears throat> Big word. There's a lot of people that, that have a lot of uh, misconceptions about what forgiveness is. How about it? And I think one of the most common ones is people say, well, I can't forgive them unless they change or unless they come and ask for forgiveness, right? That's a really common misconception about forgiveness. <clears throat> but in this context of our study, we're talking about understanding forgiveness from God's perspective. And there's a lot to be said about that. Well, let's start off uh, our first paragraph. Joe, do you mind starting us reading the first the intro paragraph? Sure. Um, understanding forgiveness. In the previous lesson, we learned that sin is missing the mark. And that we all far fall short of the glory of God. Many people realizing they have sinned against God and having been taught that they must have God's forgiveness if they are to be admitted into heaven are very concerned about God's forgiveness. The good news is that even though we all sin and fall short of God's glorious ideal, the Bible assures us that he freely forgives. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and read that verse, please. Uh, 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, he is... Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. Anything pops out in that first little bit? Anything interesting? About that idea. And I, I grew up thinking it this way. When you go to bed at night, make sure you ask for forgiveness for all your sins before you go to sleep. Because if you die in your sleep and you didn't ask for forgiveness for one sin... You're lost. So, that kind of transition is though, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, the lesson study says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the idea, that's the key text that Bill Chambers is talking about in this study, saying that the way we think about forgiveness and the way God thinks about forgiveness are probably not the same. Which is interesting. So the bottom paragraph there, page 65, and then let's open this up for some discussion. When we read texts like Psalms 711 that says, God is angry with the wicked every day, we need to keep in mind that when the Bible speaks of God's anger or wrath, it is not the same as ours. What do you think of that idea? God's anger and wrath is not the same as ours. How does the lesson here describe sort of what's our definition of anger or wrath? I like I liked that um, that paragraph because yeah, <clears throat> with us anger means one thing. We're just we're mad, we're upset, you know. But this this explained that with God, it's just he's just displeased. He's sad that we've made decisions that have that we harm ourselves with you know something he's angry at us he's just sad that what our natural consequences are going to be for our decisions mm -hmm. disappointment mm -hmm. maybe not even sad maybe it's maybe he just dislikes it you know sad is just another emotion it's like anger you know we don't know how he feels the last sentence on that page, you know, most often rather than getting mad, he, he kind of connects it with the idea of a parent. I have more to say about that. But rather than getting mad, the parent feels grieved and often brokenhearted. In the same way as God's children, when we do something wrong, our Heavenly Father is not mad at us, but grieved and brokenhearted even more because he loves us more deeply. I'm personally really cautious when I talk to people about the idea of what's God like? Well, God's like a loving parent. What if the person you're talking to did not have a loving parent? Mm -hmm. Had an incredibly abusive, dangerous parent? Well, if God's like my parent, I don't want nothing to do with them. Right? So... I've heard that before. 100%. Yes. So, for me, I think it's really important that when I'm talking to somebody, you know... I had this one book, God is for Real, man. It's an awesome book. And uh, the pastor who wrote it was talking to a 17... A teenager in the hoods of New York City... And the kid said, God is like my probation officer. Mm. Kid was on probation. 
God's like my probation officer. And the pastor said, why? I said, well, because my probation officer loves me, challenges me, he accepts me, he respects me, he encourages me. My dad never did that. Right? So it's kind of an interesting thing to try to think about people who in their life, maybe it's not a parent. Maybe it's a coworker, or teacher, or their freaking probation officer who shows them that unconditional love and support. And one of the sections of the class I was in, it was the Christian family. And it was talking about kind of along this lines here is that a, a, there should be the section was called chastening, not chastising, but chastening, which is disciplining, but disciplining in the Lord rather than punishing the child. So you go and you break a glass instead of going, you know, look what you did. You, if you were roughhousing, you scream, yell, and maybe smack the kid upside the head. But if you chase the kid, you know, you explain why what you did was wrong and, and what you don't want to do. So you want to be godly about it. And so you want to discipline with God, but not punish. Because I think people get disciplining and punishing confusing because disciplining is not poof. I'm going to discipline there. You're, not, you're punishing the kid if you do it that way. If you discipline, you talk about it from a God-loving heart to, to your child, and you know, and then you move on. So that's what I see here. Uh, cool. Kind of bringing that full circle there. Well said. Um, the lesson here, next page, Psalms 103, 10 to 14. This, this brings out a really interesting point. Um, Psalms 103, verses 10 to 14. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are higher above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. It goes on, verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. This is the New King James Version. So... Joe, to your point, you know, they use the word punish in there and all that. I personally don't like that word because it makes God look like you say to be very punitive, to get mad, get even. I'm going to punish you to make myself feel better. So, I, you know, but we can we can use the word disciple, right? Nor does he discipline us according to our iniquities, that idea, right? It makes God look a lot better. But the passage, though, there's three important things that we can pull out of those two passages. Uh, Seth, well, you don't have Sarah, do you want to read number one? God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. In the previous lesson, we learned that God does not inflict punishment for sin, but that sin punishes sin. So how do we understand that point, that God has not dealt with us according to our sins? Right, so in other words, God... It's natural consequences. But, but how do we understand that for God to say he is, uh, there's another passage I think in the New Testament, I don't remember the exact reference, but it talks about um, he overlooked the former sins, referring to like Adam and Eve, like he didn't allow the natural consequence to happen fully. I, I think a great example, and I explained this to you years ago, um, and it's a story which I now bring up when I'm talking to people about punishing, how we punish ourselves, or somebody punishing. I got caught shoplifting, and the manager told me he'd never come in the store again. The next day, my dad, who never goes to the store, let's go to the store. Really, dad? Wow. And um, <laughs> so I was, quote unquote, punished by the manager at the store, don't ever come here again. And so I'm in in the store walking with my dad and I'm just ducking behind aisles and just trying to make sure I don't see this guy because I don't know if he's going to say something to me, say something to my dad. And then I went to cross an aisle and there he was standing. We just eye to eye. It was just like, Mm -hmm. (sighs) I felt so low at that moment. But was it God punishing me? Was it Satan punishing me? Or was it me punishing me for what I did? God put in my heart what I did was wrong. I didn't have a relationship with God at the time, but when I look back, God was speaking to me, going, mm, "Not that I shoplifted. That's a whole other story." But, but at that moment, I punished myself. Nobody punished me. The manager didn't punish me. My father didn't punish me. I punished myself. That word, what intrinsic, I guess, comes to mind. 
It's intrinsic. It's a good word. Okay. So that kind of goes along. You know, learn that God does not inflict punishment, but that sin punishes sin. So I'm the sin, and I punish myself for the sin that I did. I think of it this way. God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished for our iniquities. So think about it this way. Uh, a story we can share. My brother, you know, several years ago, smashed into a massive tree riding a dirt bike full speed. And according uh, to his sins, he should have died that night. But with medical advancements in technology, 73 days on life support in the ICU, he survived and he's doing really well today. But he should have died. That should have been his consequences for his actions that night. So I look at it the same way. God, the consequence of sin with Adam and Eve should have been death. But God put him on life support and is holding everything in stasis right now while things are processing out. Just like we did as the medical community with my brother. Put him on life support until things can get worked out. That's how I understand that point. So, point two. Uh, Mom, you want to read that one? Like as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. The Lord is like a loving father who cares deeply for his children and understands that they make mistakes because they are immature with lots of learning and growing to do. Most of us, especially those who have children, can relate to that. Thoughts on that? What do you do? We're going to get real again. We're going to process a little bit here. What do you do when you grow up in a home with a parent that is also, you know, you're looking to your parents to also figure out your view of God, your idea about God, okay? The lesson author here says, like a loving father who cares for his children, and when they make mistakes, he understands that they're immature, they have lots of learning, they have lots of growing to do, and there's a lot of care, compassion, and patience. What do you do when you're in a home environment, when you're growing up, where that care, compassion, concern, because you're immature and you have a lot of learning to do, isn't the case? The message is you're screwing up because there's something wrong with you. Because you have problems or because you're broken. Not that you're immature and you're learning and you're trying to grow. It's another degree. There's actually something wrong with you. So if you are a person listening to our audience or online, and even us here in the room, growing up in that situation, then how will that transfer over to your view of God and how he would forgive you? Or how could you relate to that? I think there's just a lot of learning that a person needs to go through. You're going to learn trial and error all through life. Right? You know, sometimes you're going to do something that may, you know, you're going to, again, oh, Joe's talking about his past again, but, you know, throwing, throwing rocks up the brick out of the street light, but one rock busted out the rear window of a car. Um, I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but the point is, you know, I, if, I, I never got in trouble for it. People knew I did it. I never apologized for it. They're all dead now, so I'm less concerned. But, uh, but it's a, you, you, you know, sometimes you got to make mistakes, you know, you're going to, because you don't know, you need to, you know, again, be disciplined for something that you do wrong, but make sure that you don't do it again. And then when somebody else does it. You kind of discipline them or talk to them about what they've done and say, you know, I don't think your intent was to upset and do this and do that. Maybe. So I have no idea where I'm going with this. So, you know, crawl back into my little hole. Yeah, so how do you tie that into that idea, though, right? I have no idea. That's well, a good I think story. that if you, have a, if you have a parent that themselves is... Uh, damaged because of their own background and if that's not healed and then that is inflicted on you and then that skews and damages your view of God and life you know and that's where the yeah. sins of the father from generation to generation comes in yeah. until somebody says enough 
let's fix this, becomes aware that this needs fixed, you know, and it starts a whole different journey. But, um, yeah, I mean, each of us as adults, our, our views of God and life were all set, I believe, when we were children. You know, whatever, however our parents taught us and raised us. Does that kind of go into the thought of what you're saying is that reminds me of, you know, we, the sins of our fathers, we pay for the sins of our fathers. Is that sort of where you're coming, going with, or am I looking at a um, different angle? We don't pay for those sins, but, but, we the, learn, but the, can we learn not to do the sins correct. of our fathers? The sins of our fathers skewed us in our view of the world, our view of God, our view of each other. But then as we grow and mature, then, you know, hopefully in God's mercy, he sends us down a little different path that helps us grow out of that. And stop that chain. Correct. Of, and stop yeah. it. Yeah. Also, yeah. I, I think that God made the equation for a, a meaningful life, that there has to be some kind of mistake, like the mistake is part of the equation, or like suffering or pain. 100%. Um, suffering is... That fertile ground for radical change mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like you made us like we're, we're plants. A victory wrapped in struggle paper. Yeah. That's yeah. a term I heard recently that I really liked. Uh, Angel, and then we'll get back to the lesson. I think sometimes the sins of our fathers actually teach us how to will guide us in the future as we become adults and parents ourselves what not to do. Yeah. Because, you know, like if you're in a bad environment growing up, then, you know, you have your own children that you love and you would die for them. It's like, well, I don't want them to go through what I went through when I was a kid. So sometimes it sends our fathers pretty much actually teaches you to be more compassionate and more loving towards your own children because you don't want your children to grow up, you know, uh, like you, like you did. So the idea that the third point the lesson brings out is his mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. These previous passages we read. This says that God always has and will continue throughout the endless ages of eternity to constantly and compassionately forgive. This is the nature of true love and God is love. I have had some conversations with people say that God won't forgive you unless you ask for it. That's how people believe it, and that's a lot of times how we were taught. You know, like, there was so much of this lesson that really did um, change what I've been raised with all my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was always the, there was the thing that if you committed suicide, you're definitely not going to heaven because you didn't have a chance to ask forgiveness. Right, you can't ask forgiveness for that, right. For, for what you did. Right. You know, I mean, how ludicrous is that to think that God is so shallow that he doesn't know the emotions that led you up to that in the first place and then not to be forgiven for that because you were dead and couldn't ask. It's just sad, the views that we have. I mean, it, it says here in that first one, Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways aren't your ways. My mercy is from everlasting to everlasting. That is very contradictory to um, a lot of the ways that we're taught mm -hmm. about God. Yeah, yeah, Angel. Yeah, I think people confuse human nature with actually the God's loving Absolutely. nature. See, when people say, you know, well, if I'm not asking for forgiveness, you know, that you shouldn't forgive me, you know, that's that's all human nature because you know we're humans and that's how we think mm -hmm. you know that's why this whole world is confused and you know a lot of evil in this world because people just they they follow the ways of the world and not the ways of God which his nature is very different from human nature mm -hmm. very so should humans emulate God's well, that's what we strive for. Okay, so... We already do, man. But, but, so where I'm struggling with, 
the asking for forgiveness or not, and what are we taught to do when we make a mistake to somebody from our parents? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. God is saying that some, you know, so do we ask God for forgiveness then for when we make mistakes or do so, something? So no one, no one here, and the lesson isn't saying it either, it's saying that we shouldn't ask God for okay, forgiveness. Okay, all right. I right? just wanted to, just, the, I just wanted the to. approach, to clarify, the approach is the other way. It's the other direction. So asking for forgiveness is for our benefit. Because it shows humbleness, humility, acceptance of responsibility, breaking your denial, and it shows acknowledging, acknowledging my wrong. Yep. Forgiveness is not for God's benefit. God has already forgiven you, and he's just waiting for you to acknowledge that for your own growth. Just like Seth said, growth is through these struggles and through these difficulties that we kind of get into. That's where that forgiveness side comes into. Um, Papa 67 the word forgive in the original languages of the Bible basically means to let go, to disregard, or set free. That means to forgive is letting go of whatever I would normally feel one owes me or is obligated to do as payment for an offense or debt. If I let it go, that means they are not expected to do anything as a condition of my forgiveness for an offense against me. What do you think about that? Now this is God, right? We're understanding what forgiveness is, and it's also us. How forgiveness works between us. Human, human between humans. Same. Right. So, <clears throat> um, let's say somebody does something to me, and then, you know, time goes by, and, you know, that person doesn't ask for forgiveness to forgive that person without them asking. Uh, I would say, of course, because we don't know what the nature or what that person has been, has gone through that he probably offended you, but you know, he, we don't know, we don't know what, what people's lives are. They could have, they could be having struggles in their lives and stuff. And, you know, it's like, they say something that offended you is like, uh, I look at it this way, something must be going on with that person, so, you know, I really don't, gonna take it too hard that that person offended me, maybe something's going on, you know, and, you know, of course, you know, I'm gonna forgive them, you know, even if they don't ask me for forgiveness, because that's, that will be God's way, you know, and we don't know what it's in that person's heart or their lives or, you know, somebody could be having a much tougher life than we're having, you know, and, and, and people just develop these defenses or, you know, defense mechanisms that actually can offend you or something, you know, but we just don't know what's in that person's heart or mind, so, you know, just. There at the, the bottom of the first paragraph on 67, um, I highlight this whole section here, but it sounds really, really good. I will, forgiveness is, I will not make an attempt get even or get back at them in any way and though the pain of what they have done is so great that I cannot forget I will never mention it to them I will not gossip to others about what they have done to me and I will treat them as though it had never happened I have a little bit of issue with the last sentence there I will treat them as though it had never happened because sometimes you can forgive somebody who is an unsafe person and you need to have some healthy boundaries. Yeah. So your interaction and treatment of interaction with them will look very differently. But that doesn't mean you hold it against them. Mm -hmm. And there's also uh, there's a difference between polite and compassion, too. You know, like I took a personality test, and I scored pretty low in compassion, but I scored pretty high in politeness. <laughs> so, I tend to. Hi, you mind if I take your wallet? Thank you. <laughs> no, I just, I tend to, you know, say something or, you know, mess with me or something. I'll, I'll be my agreeable self and brush it off. But it's not because I did it out of not wanting to fight. I did it because, you know, it's what normal people do. I did, I didn't do it for a real reason. Yeah, for like, honestly. Yeah. Like, where it's just like actually. 
caring for that person or yourself. So, think about Jesus hanging on the cross. What did he say before he died? He forgive said them for they yeah. don't know what they've done. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. They don't know what they're doing. Who asked, who asked him for forgiveness? Nobody did. Not a single person asked him for forgiveness at that moment. And there's a big key aspect into God in that statement. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. No one asked for forgiveness. But the key aspect is they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're young. They're immature. They're wounded. They're broken by sin. It's like the person who has, you know, some stomach virus and they're walking across my living room carpet and they throw up and they just get vomit all over the carpet. It is, it's not even a thought. Oh, I can't believe you did this. No, you don't, you don't know what you're doing. It's fine. You're sick, right? No, no compassionate, <laughs> compassionate, caring person would like really get upset over something like that. The person's really sick. You're not well. Right? And that's where, that's human, that's us. That's humanity. We're sick. We're not well. Sin. Sin is sickness. God, of course I forgive you. You don't know what you're doing. You're infected. You're sick. Interesting view. Yeah. Interesting idea. Let's turn to page. Um, there's a, the, the top paragraph there of 68 um, what a beautiful thought it starts with what a beautiful thought somebody read that whole paragraph for us I'm gonna start calling a name y'all when we go to the cross we can see that in spite of our sin God does not hold bitter or resentful feelings toward us but always and only compassion and unconditional love and if we don't resist, seeing God's self-sacrificing love will transform our heart and change our mind about the way we live and about the way we see Him. We will experience for ourselves the goodness of God that leads to repentance, Romans 2, 4. This is what it means to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, to be reconciled to God. Note the following verses that clearly state why Jesus died. So... Before we get into them four verses, this is a big point. Why clearly state why Jesus died. Man, we could go around the room with a hundred different answers as to why we think Jesus died, right? And they all could be true, and maybe they're not. But I think this is a really interesting uh, point that the lesson author is going to bring out. So, Joe, read John 3.16. Lola, you want to take the next one? We'll just read down through the four verses there. The next one, John 12, 32, 33. Yeah, Romans 5, 8. Romans 5.8. Do you have John? Okay, you can read John 12. Angel, you read Romans 5, 8. Where? Where? Hold on. Well, you're on the online version, too. Uh, let me have the book then. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, Joe, go ahead. Read all four. We'll just make it easy. <laughs> John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 12.32 and 33, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. This he said, signifying by what death he would die. And 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So, why did Jesus die? He might bring us to God, to truly show us how much God loved us. He was willing to die for us to show us how much he loved us. But I thought Jesus died to pay our debt. No. God didn't require somebody's death give us. That's been the lie all down through time. Because just like for us, us forgiving somebody does not require that other person's participation. So 
you know, God forgiving us, Jesus forgiving us, does not require our participation. What does require our participation is the reconciliation, right? The relationship that we have together. So that's, you know, where all of that, like the, the, the forgiveness part, that's out of our hands. God gives that to us freely without us having to do anything. We don't have to, nobody has to have a relationship with him to have forgiveness, to have his forgiveness. Well said. The top paragraph there on 69, Jesus did not die to compel God to love those he otherwise hated. I think that's a really important thing to bring out. Jesus did not die to make a change in God to somehow convince God to love those he otherwise hated or to forgive those who otherwise would not be forgiven. See, I love this point because a lot of Christianity, a lot of people believe that Jesus had to die, Jesus does his work in heaven, all these things to make a change in God. How they rationalize that. It's a lie. Jesus died because of the love and forgiveness that already existed in his heart to show us that we are forgiven even before we ask. We've talked about the evidence of that. Jesus didn't die to change God's attitude toward us to satisfy an angry God who demands a blood sacrifice before he will forgive us. That's Satan's view of God. No, Jesus died to bring us to God that we might be changed to win us back to love and trust in our Heavenly Father. And then the very next paragraph, that first sentence, it's important to realize the forgiveness of sin is not for God's benefit. God does not need closure, nor does he need to get even with those who have wronged him. He doesn't hold bitterness, animosity, So, I'm going to go back to this debt thing real quick for a second. Was our debt paid or are we forgiven? You guys follow me when I keep coming back to that idea of like, was our debt paid? That's a very common thing in Christianity, that Jesus died to pay my debt. I had a debt of sin, I deserve death, da, 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 da. Jesus died to pay my debt. Is that familiar to anybody? Oh, here? yeah. So if your debt is paid, are you forgiven? In in human terms, if your debt's paid, you are forgiven. But, no. But Jesus' death had nothing to do no. with that. No. If that's true, you might not be forgiven even no. if you did pay your debt. The debt got paid. Yeah. There is no th there is no such thing as forgiveness. The debt was paid. If you owed the bank ten thousand yeah. dollars for your car and you couldn't pay the ten grand, yeah. And your older brother went to the bank and paid the debt so the bank wouldn't come and take your car, did the bank forgive you? No. The bank no. Just got paid. The bank got paid. Now, since the bank got paid, do you care? Do you care to see that bank ever again? No. So you can't, you can't hold both those two things at the same time. Your debt can't be paid and be forgiven at the same time. That, that doesn't work. You're either forgiven the bank, I willingly take the loss. I forgive you. We will take the loss of $10,000. We forgive you. Don't hold it against you more. Enjoy your car. We take the loss. Or you can keep your car because somebody else paid off your debt. I think that's a huge distortion about God, that this idea like we're forgiven and our debt was paid. Both those things cannot be true at the same time. And that's why I really like the way this lesson is bringing out and that Jesus shows the truth about God that who paid off Jesus? If Jesus is truly God, as we believe he is, well then who paid the debt to Jesus? Well, nobody did. Because it's not about that. So, okay, my, my wheels are really spinning. So, 
there's a, there's the verse, and we're taught this that Jesus died for the forgiveness of sin. Right. There is that verse. A lot of versions use the word remission. Remission, remission of sin. But for me, that's not really sitting with the verse that Jesus came and died to show us the Father. That the Father loves us so much that he would die for us, did die for us. That's how much he loves us. That the death wasn't, or the crucifixion wasn't really about forgiveness of sin other than I wish I put these words right other than just to show us what our skewed thinking had done towards our view of God so it's like forgiving our skewed thinking because we didn't know any better and he's just showing us the truth I don't know did any of that make sense yes where I'm struggling with this whole concept especially that top page paragraph on 69 is I'm afraid to say this. You're in a safe space. Huh? You're in a safe space. I'm not, I'm not concerned about that, but I'm just... Um, You've already been threatened before we started to study, exactly. so it's okay. Thank you, Joe. I'm thinking we're not allowed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. But there's got to be this paragraph, if somebody gets it in their mind, then I'm going to do as I want, do as I want, do as I want, do as I want with the consequences to my actions because God forgives me. So there's got to be a stand. Is there a standard we must be held to? Who's going to create that standard? Say for themselves. Natural consequences. The natural consequences. And he's still going to forgive you, but your natural consequences of doing what you want, doing what you want, doing what you want, are going to end in the result. But of is there whatever. not? A, but is there not a point where it's got to be? You keep doing this. There's going to be consequences to your actions. But the consequences happen naturally. They're not from God. Forgiveness does not equal salvation. Like you have to, you can. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. No. But. Right. So that's the that's the ultimately right. You keep doing something, the consequence is going to be that you don't have salvation. I'm going to beat a dead. I'm going to beat a dead horse. Uh, this person who skewed me with Christianity years ago, who said, "I'm forgiven. I'm 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 uh, I'm born again. I can do whatever I want." Yeah. So, and that's what I'm kind of seeing here. Like the once saved, always saved. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm seeing here in this paragraph. But that doesn't mean... You still have to so have... who are you to judge? That person is or isn't. You know, that, that I'm getting with that also. Yeah, but I mean, it's like you're... You still have that change of heart when you are one with God. Because... because Honestly, we're supposed to be dying to self every day and striving to be more Christ-like every day. Yep. And if we are purposely over and over and over again accepting the forgiveness of, of God just because, you know, we want to do it our way or whatever, and then the results happen of, of those consequences, not from God, but just naturally, so this is how the world is, and this is the result. The, in um, Ellen White... In selected messages has this quote um, which which is amazing let me just read it and I think maybe Joe this will help kind of bring some I don't know, closure to where I don't, I don't know just see what this says we are not to regard God as waiting to punish the sinner for his sin the sinner brings the punishment upon himself 
His own actions start a train of circumstances that bring the sure result. Every act of transgression reacts upon the sinner, works in him a change of character, and makes it more easy for him to transgress again. By choosing to sin, men separate themselves from God, cut themselves off from the channel of blessing, and the sure result is ruin and death. So the person who has this belief, once saved, always saved, God will always forgive me, doesn't matter what I do, will will go down this path to eventually change their character so much that, that okay, like, like God can say, okay, so you believe I forgive you, and I do. But you have changed yourself so much by your actions, just like you said, Lola, it's, it's a natural consequence. You're just, that person is revealing in their heart that they prefer selfish. I could do whatever I want. God will forgive me. They prefer the selfish character. Versus, that's what Satan did. I want to send myself the Mount of God. I want to set myself and be worshipped as God. I want to do whatever I want. You think Satan doesn't know how forgiving God is? Satan knows how forgiving God is. That's why Satan did what he did and rebelled in heaven. Because he knows how forgiving God is. But when you read Philippians, Jesus says he didn't think equality with God would to be something to be grasped. He humbled himself to the form of a servant, even to the point of death on the cross. That shows a character of selflessness, other-centered love. And so it's all about what we're revealing in our characters. Yeah, we can cognitively, intellectually understand that, yeah, God is always forgiving. Satan did. But the choices that they made to prefer selfishness brings about a change of character that the sure result is ruin and death, or a change in character that the sure result is like Jesus. By beholding him, we become changed. And the sure result is eternal life. Unity with God, oneness with God. I don't think the question there is whether there's forgiveness or not, though. Like, because God is God, I believe that God has forgiven Satan. 100%. Right? Yeah. But that does not mean that Satan's going to be reconciled and have a relationship with him. That's right. Right? Like, so these people that continually say, okay, I'm, I'm forgiven, right? Like, I'm good. But they keep going and doing these things under the idea, well, like, once saved, always saved, right? Like, we're all good. Like, they're, they're not going to, that does not ensure a relationship with God. So he's forgiven, yeah, 100%, right? But, like, he, he's forgiven Satan, but there is not going to be a relationship. Satan is not going to be in heaven. But ultimately, the person who holds the view of once saved, always saved, holds a penal legal view of God to begin with. And it's Satan's view of God, period. Because if a person believes, well, God forgive me, I can do whatever I want, I'm saved. Well, as long as I check the box, saved, that's a legal thing. As long as you've paid your fine, you can do whatever you want. As long as you've paid your taxes or whatever it is, check. Pay your time. Well, I just want to just reiterate there is like, it's actually not Satan's view of God. It's what Satan wants us to believe. There we go. Satan knows God's view. Mm, well said. And he, and he, he knows he's going down. He wants to take us all with him. So he knows God's view. Yeah. So his goal is to try to get everyone to believe something that's yes. not that. Yes. Exactly. Well said. Angel. And the reason why Satan does not reconcile with God because he loves the power. He 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 right. he, he he will have to relinquish power and follow the Lord. I mean, he didn't want to, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to be God. Mm-hmm. That's why he's never going to reconcile because, you know, just like the Sanhedrin and, you know, one that they be Jesus, they didn't want to, they wanted to keep the power. That's why they crucified Jesus. Yeah, well said. Um, <clears throat> Let's move down here. We'll kind of start wrapping up the lesson here a little bit. Um, <clears throat> the bottom of page 69. Remember, there are only two paths for us in this world. Man's way, Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. 
Joe, I think that connects exactly what you just said. I can do whatever I want. I'm saved. I want to do what seems right for me. Versus God's way, John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Someone read for us uh, Lola, that next paragraph. Okay, you have to give me a little hint of what that next paragraph is. Oh, that's true. We're on page 70, right below God's way, John 14, 6. The text. Do you have that? He teaches. Yep. John 14, Fourteen six or 14.26? Uh, so you're going to read Wild God. For you, it's page 4. Okay. Bottom of page 4. John 14.6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In the next paragraph. While God loves us and freely forgives us, forgiveness, though it eases our guilt, will not cancel out the consequences of sin. The only way to stop the painful consequences of sin is to stop the sin. Then there can be no unpleasant consequences. The problem is we can't do that on our own. Only as we are willing to begin to trust and cooperate with God can this be achieved. God saves us, not by forgiving us, but by changing us. Yeah, that's a bombshell. God saves us not by forgiving us. Forgiveness alone is not enough. That's a big one. A lot of people, a lot of people stop right there because they think it's a legal view of God. As long as I'm forgiven legally, check, I'm saved. But as we've been hashing out in this group, Satan's forgiven. But Satan's not willing to be changed. Right, so the one saved is always saved. It's just not possible, right? So you can't Go and say, oh, I'm forgiven, but then continue to not act in a changed way. Right. Right, continue to just redo the same old patterns. That would not be showing a change, right? So. Right. That's what they're lacking. It's called willfully blind. Willfully blind? Yeah. Or ignorant. In order, in order to be forgiven, to be really be forgiven you actually have to change yourself and stray away from that sin so you know basically god forgives us free but it's all up to us now to do it develop that relationship with god so that cycle ends and if you think of like all of the all of the uh, miracles <clears throat> of healing that jesus did in his ministry a lot. I don't. I don't know the exact number or whatever. So we're just kind of paraphrasing some rough drafting right now. But he said, "Your sins are forgiven." In many, 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 many cases, your sins are forgiven. But he didn't just stop there. He said, "And go and sin no more. Be changed. Be changed. Yeah. Live a different life. Do differently. Don't end up back where you are now." Yeah. Go and sin no more. Right, and in a lot of cases, one of the cases is this the one where the the buddies ripped the roof apart and lowered the guy on the, the bed, and they wanted him to heal him, but Jesus said, "Well, I forgive you." The guy didn't ask to be forgiven; he asked to be healed. But Jesus said, "I, I just forgive you," even without him asking. That's not what he wanted. He wanted to not hurt anymore. Sometimes illness, sickness, pain comes from a troubled heart and a Ooh, troubled soul. Well said. And so sometimes it's the emotional and the spiritual that needs healed first. And then the physical will follow. Trauma is stored in the body. Trauma, Trauma is stored in your body. So if that, that man who was lowered to the roof didn't ask for forgiveness, but he was given it freely, then, like, it's it's ridiculous. It's, it's unreasonable for us to say, oh, well, we have to ask for forgiveness to receive it, right? Because in that instance, Jesus gave it freely to that man who... Wasn't even asking, didn't even know he needed it at that point. But he was offered it without any, you know, hinting or asking or begging or whatever, right? Like, so. It means you can reject, it means you can reject it. Hmm. That's another can right there, huh? Uh, to wrap up this lesson, um, the last paragraph here, as discussed in a previous lesson, we need to change. And only by consistently coming to the Lord and beholding Him can that happen. 
As we contemplate His love and grace, His forgiveness and compassion, we will find that the Holy Spirit begins to change us so that we begin to reflect His nature. We become more and more like Jesus. If you draw a line for those who have a book, draw a line right there. And next week, we are going to open up the can of worms talking about the unpardonable sin. And what is it? That's going to be part two of this discussion. That will be next week. So read up, study up, mark your books, and uh, I'm ready to share. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you are the kind of God who forgives freely because we are young, we are immature, we're damaged and broken, we need healing, we need changed. And As we wrestle with these concepts, thank you, God, that you're also not afraid of these conversations. You're not afraid of our doubts, our fears, our worries, our, our struggles, our um, just kind of like hashing all this stuff out. And I just praise you that you gather with us as we work through these things. God, I just ask that you will help us to understand more and more of what forgiveness looks like. That we can have that same attitude toward um, you know, everyone that's within our circle and that we bump into. Thank you that you are forgiving God, but it doesn't end there. Thank you that you're not only a forgiving God, but you're also a healing, a restoring God that your mission and purpose is to try to bring us back to you. at one means one with God. Thank you so much for this lesson, for the author who put it together, and for everyone who's contributing to this uh, podcast and our conversations and, and our learning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.